are listening to Venture Vignettes, a podcast that features trailblazers in entrepreneurship, investment, and innovation. I'm your host, Rihanna Shah, recording from Stanford, California. If you like what you hear today, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Today, I'm sitting down with TJ Duane, the founder and CEO of the networking platform BrightCrowd. TJ grew up in upstate New York and studied psychology and sociology at Cornell. He obtained a degree from Harvard Law School and later went on to Stanford GSB to get an MBA, where he saw a need for cross-campus collaboration. That idea evolved into BrightCrowd. Thanks for being on the show today, TJ. Happy to do it. To get started, could you talk a little bit about your background growing up and why networking has been such a large part of what you focused on? Yeah, sure. So I, I actually grew up um, in a sort of rural town in upstate New York. And uh, uh, neither of my parents went to college, actually. My father was a New York City police officer and my mother was a nurse. And um, so networking was not really a big deal in the family. We didn't really have a, a network, but my father always used to, from his years on the police force, always used to say it really didn't matter what you knew. It, it always mattered who you knew, right? Every opportunity that we ever had or he ever had came through um, people he knew, not any education he had. And so uh, so that was always a, always a big deal growing up. And what would you say has inspired the start of Bright Crowd for you? Oh, well, Bright Crowd's been, uh, <laughs> you know, everyone talks about how startups, you know, are overnight, right? But Bright, Out, Bright Crowd's been something I've been, in effect, working on for, you know, over 20 years, um, probably even longer than that. From um, from the time I was an undergrad at Cornell, I started uh, writing websites that were sort of rudimentary early social networks, um, ways for people to share notes uh, for class specifically. And then um, when I got to Harvard Law School uh, in the late 90s, there was no student social uh, presence really, not offline or online. And uh, and so I, I had a uh, an idea that that could be changed by allowing people to connect more easily and, and again, sort of borrowing from what I had done at Cornell, uh, share notes about their, you know, uh, notes from their classes, right? So hopefully it would be less competitive if people were more uh, cooperative and collaborative. And um, and so I built an early uh, an early social network um, in 1999 for Harvard Law School students to to come together. And this predated most really every other social network, um, largely because the technology wasn't good for a social network at the time. Um, but I did have every every Harvard Law School student sign up and use the network within you know the first week of it launching. And uh, and so I saw the opportunity at that point for the web to bring people together, even if they weren't physically in the same space, um, and get them collaborating, uh, you know, with each other. And so that was really the that was really the genesis of it. And then um, you know I'd worked on several other you know companies in you know over the years that all focused on using your network um, and leveraging your network um, to help uh, help you get things done right help make your life easier help you get answers to questions you don't have the answers to uh, and and generally to move yourself forward and so uh, bright crowd is sort of the natural evolution of all those projects and and that I started when uh, you know when I was at the Stanford GSB um, because it was kind of shocking to me how little cross campus collaboration was happening how 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 little pollination cross pollination was happening between uh, my business school classmates the MBAs and most of the other schools particularly the engineering school and the law school and the med school and so we wanted to create an opportunity for um, to reduce the friction around around those types of serendipitous interactions happening and allowing people to to share knowledge and advice and engage other folks who have different backgrounds or different experience to you know collaborate and get things done so what is your analysis of social networks as they exist today why can't a facebook or linkedin 
serve people's purpose of connection and networking with one another? It's kind of interesting. I would say that you know, social networks as we know them today have become actually less social uh, and they become much more platforms for self-promotion, right? I think most people um, would agree that, you know, when you go to Facebook, you tend to see a fairly sterilized, perfect version of most people's lives, um, you know, whether it's the, you know, great vacation someone just went on or that great thing their kid just did. And obviously the same holds true for Instagram and Twitter and, and even LinkedIn, right? Even LinkedIn, which is a professional network, it's not truly a professional network. It's a place for people to brag about their, you know, professional accolades and accomplishments. It's rare you ever see someone post on LinkedIn like, hey, I just lost my job um, because I was terrible at what I do and I'm looking for <laughs> something new, right? No, no one would ever do that, right? Um, but... Um, with their actual social networks, like actually in person, people do tend to be more open and more confiding and actually go to their networks for help and advice. Um, and so I think in the current social networking ecosystem, uh, you know, what started out as a place for people to, you know, share and engage and support one another has evolved into a place where people are trying to build a personal brand um, because there are riches certainly associated with building a personal brand as we've seen, um, but not necessarily sharing for the sake of of engagement, but sharing for the sake of of you know getting likes or um, you know things that are you know things that are basically self promotional. That's really interesting. So, how would you say Brightcrowd is different from these brand building platforms as you're characterizing them? Yeah, with, with Brightcrowd, you know, what we say we try to do, we're, we're helping people help each other, right? We're creating a, an environment where it's okay to be vulnerable, okay to say you don't know something, okay to ask for help or ask for advice, um, and making it acceptable behavior there in a way that it, it candidly used to be on these other platforms before they got big and decided they wanted to monetize off of a lot of ads and wanted to keep like doing anything they could to psychologically trick people into coming back and viewing more and clicking more. And, and so, yeah, it's not always great to see that someone's struggling, but at the same time, if someone is struggling with something you struggled with, then it, it actually does feel pretty good to help them through it, to let them know like what steps you took to get through whatever problem it is, whether it's an academic problem or a professional problem or a social or psychological problem. Um, we've all been through different things and that wisdom no matter whether you're a freshman at Stanford or you know a retired professor, we all have wisdom based on our life experiences that other people would benefit from. So we very intentionally set up Brightcrowd as a place for people to share the wisdom from their life experiences with other folks um, who may be a year or two or three behind them in their professional path. Um, so you know some people sort of liken it to mentorship. We don't. We don't think about it that way, right? Because mentorship feels sort of one directional and it feels sort of long term. This is just people sharing their experience um, and people asking for help based on experience uh, and advice based on experience. Because when it comes down to it, uh, you know, I could spend 20 hours trying to research and figure out a, a problem where someone in my social network has already spent 20 years thinking about this and can give me an answer in 20 minutes, right? And so... For me, as an example, you know, when my MBA classmates had legal questions, right, it would have taken them a long time to just figure out even who to talk to about it or even try and solve it themselves. But I looked at so many contracts in my career that I could glance at someone's employment agreement and say, hey, you don't have anything to worry about here. Or, ooh, I would be concerned about this provision. Um, it's just something that comes with, with experience. And so for them to tap into my knowledge there as a utilitarian, I feel like that's way, way better than them spending hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars on another attorney um, yeah. who would – 
probably give them the same advice um, and at the same time would have, you know, taken an hour, would have taken them a lot of time to figure out who to send it to and so forth, right? So I think we all have accumulated wisdom that when pooled is actually incredibly useful and incredibly valuable. And so BrightCrowd just makes it much easier to pool the wisdom of a large group of people, a crowd, um, and pool that knowledge and make it more easily accessible. So I think one of the other things that's interesting about BrightCrowd is that you guys are helping people build their own networks, right? But you're not necessarily expecting that they're going to stay in touch with these people over the long term or even know these people in person. Could you talk a little bit about how those connections are working and what is it that might prompt someone to help out a total stranger? Yeah, so one of the things that we focused on with BrightCrowd is recognizing that you know, we, we have these real networks that actually are people that we know and care about. And the early days of LinkedIn and the early days of Facebook were about putting those real networks in a graph um, online. Unfortunately, again, as with most products, you know, when they're serving shareholders, right, they, they have to grow. And so LinkedIn and Facebook are both heavily incentivized to get you to add as many friends as possible, whether or not you know that person, whether or not you care about that person. And so we wanted to take networking back more to first principles with these are the people you actually know and care about. And so what we do is we basically, based on communication data, identify the folks who we think, who BrightCrowd thinks, are your real network. Um, And the reality is that for many of us, our real professional network is much broader and much deeper than we really have any conception of, right? Um, The typical person has about 100 to 150 people who they know and care about, right? And there's a ton of sociological research, um, particularly, you know, work done by Robin Dunbar that that goes into the, you know, that goes into this, the Mm -hmm. idea of having 150 close contacts. That's about the number of people that you can, that any person can really sort of maintain relationships with. Now, what's interesting about that is that most of us find opportunity through our extended network, right? And so LinkedIn has painted this idea of an extended network being your second-degree connections. Unfortunately, when you have thousands of first-degree connections, because LinkedIn encourages everyone to connect with everyone, that second-degree network becomes so big that it's not really useful. In fact, for most people, their first-degree network isn't even really useful. But if you focus on just those 100 people that you know well, right, those 100 to 150 people you know well, and recognize that every single one of those people, we all have that group, right, that group of people, and recognize that every single one of those people would help you if you asked for help with something that was relevant to them, right? This could be your accountant. It could be your doctor. It could be like a friend from, you know, a friend from high school who happens to work in a different industry now who, who would be happy to help you if you reached out and asked them about it. When you think about the fact that every single one of those people also knows 150 people who would be willing to help them and in turn the people they care about, i.e. you, the breadth of your extended network is actually quite significant, right? If you just think about just basic math, let's say minimum we each have 100 people that we care about, right, that would be willing to help us if we reached out to them. And they each have 100 people who care about them who in turn would be willing to help us. That's over 10,000 people who would be willing to help us if we asked. That's an incredibly powerful network. And those 10,000 people, given the, you know, the way people's lives you know, change over time and the things they go through, the, the different professions they take on and the different places they live, those 10,000 people cover pretty much every area of knowledge, every industry, almost every country in the world, like oh, every area of the world, right? So you, we all know someone in our secondary network who has lived in Paris or who's worked in engineering or who has, you know, um, been to Disney World, whatever it is, right? There, there's whatever information you want, whatever experience, knowledge you're trying to gain from someone else's experiences, that experience is out there. It's out there one degree 
away from you and one degree away from the people who actually would care enough to make that connection for you. And so it's really about understanding who is that real network, who is that mm-hmm. real valuable social network that you have, not the fake online network where you've just added a bunch of connections because it was the cool thing to do. Yeah, it's pretty wild when you think about it that way and frame it that way. It's very interesting. What would you say are some of the most common use cases that you've seen people use BreadCrowd for? Yeah, I mean, typically it's everything from tactical advice, like, hey, I'm, I'm setting up a social media campaign or I want to I launch a podcast and I'd love to get advice on sort of how I can set up a podcast and what you know, what tactics should I use? So borrowing from people's experience around a project like that um, to things that are more um, – that are less tactical, more sort of like career-oriented. Like, hey, I you know just graduated with a fine arts degree and I'm not even sure what career paths I can take, right? So this is – there's thousands of people who have graduated with fine arts degrees who have gone into all different careers, right, and that would be willing to offer their advice to a new graduate um, who's, who's, who's dealing with that. Um, two, the more, you know, again, that's, that's on the advice side. Then there's the sort of tactical collaborations, right, which is I'm working on this project and I'm looking for, you know, that's trying to map, you know, farming pastures and I'm looking for someone who has a lot of experience working with GIS um, to help me build out these maps, right? So people lending their expertise to collaborate on a project. Um, so that's 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 the range. It's typically the types of things when you think to yourself, um, I'm sure I know someone who can help me with this. Let me ask my friends. Right, Bright Crowd is like a friend, right? That just happens to have a lot of friends that you can ask. Yeah, definitely. Let's switch to talking a little bit about you as an entrepreneur and how you've used networking to build up Bright Crowd or your other ventures in the past. What do you say is the role of networking when it comes to building ventures? Well, look, no one ever accomplished anything on their own, right? I mean, whether you're Einstein or Edison, you always were working on teams, right? You know, Jobs didn't build the iPhone. Hundreds of engineers built the iPhone. Um, And so I think when it comes down to it, you cannot build anything. You cannot truly accomplish anything working on your own. You need a network. Um, And so... I think there's, you know, for every project I've ever worked on, for every company I've ever worked on, um, I've had not just a team of people working with me as employees and colleagues, but I've had a very large network of people who are either offering advice or support or making introductions um, to potential sales leads or to potential clients or customers. Um, And so that is you know, you could be the smartest person in the world, but if you don't have people out there who who are willing to support your um, your efforts, you're not going to be successful. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. One of the ways that networking is characterized, especially for folks who might be first gen or folks who may not have been brought up in an environment where, where networking is a clean and pure word, what would you say to those folks who think that it's icky in some ways or it's cheating in some ways? Well, I, I it's, it's interesting. Um, I don't, it's hard. It's hard for me to answer that question because um, I think of networking as relationships, and as human beings, we are hardwired to have relationships. From the moment we're born, we are. You know, a newborn baby will crawl onto its mother's chest. It's the first thing it knows how to do, right? Um, so, relationships are so core to us as a species, and networking is just a reflection of the relationships that you have and that you've built, right? So when I think of networking as an icky word or a dirty word, I think about it in the very sort of, you know, used car salesman you know, like, hey, how's it going? Like people are having these very superficial relationships, not these meaningful relationships. And so going back to what we discussed earlier, I think 
a lot of the social networking, uh, online social networking landscape has shifted more into that highly transactional, highly superficial networks. Whereas true networking, true professional networking is about building relationships, maintaining those relationships and being there for those relationships. We like to say that like, you know, in most social networks today, whether it's, you know, LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter, or Instagram, it's about showing off. Whereas with Brightcrowd, it's much more about showing up, being there for the people who rely on you, for the people who think that they can rely on you, for the people you care about. Um, and so I don't think of networking as a as a as a dirty word if if we if it's meant in the way it was originally intended to mean, like a, a web of relationships you know, web of people that you care about that you're willing to, you know, willing to support and engage with. Yeah, that's a really good way to think about it. And I think that sets apart those folks who end up being able to find opportunities through their networks or sets apart those folks who are able to build ventures because they have a, a lot of support through the relationships that they've been, they've been able to build. Interesting. One of the things that I also wonder about is how do you keep up with your network, right? We only We can only stay in touch with about 150 people at any given time, but we've interacted with hundreds of people in our lifetime. So what is one way that you've leveraged to keep up with these folks who you may know and may not have a, a direct connection to right now, but you do want to stay in touch with? Yeah. Uh, you know, I've tried a lot of different tools, um, you know, and, and they all sort of feel transactional, like sending out a, you know, quarterly update, right? That's just, that's sort of doing that for me. That's, again, it comes back to bragging. Um, when it comes down to it, Again, you know, the reality is that maybe we are only intended to really maintain ongoing relationships with 100 to 150 people. It's both exhausting and, you know, somewhat superficial to try and maintain relationships with hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of thousands. Now, for some people, that is their business, right? If you're a salesperson, you are, or, or a recruiter, or someone in, in customer development or whatever, you are spending a lot of time building relationships. Now, I wouldn't consider that my network. I would consider that my job. Um, but the way that I do it is, I, which is very hard to replicate, it's not scalable, uh, is I keep in mind, like, for everyone that I know and care about, I know things that they care about. Right, and so when I see something that could be relevant to them, I share it with them. Right, if I see something online, if I see something in the world, I mean, I, people make fun of me. My wife makes fun of me because I still read a, a newspaper every day, and, uh, and like a real live, like newspaper. a real live newspaper. Wow. And you know, at least once a week, I will take a photo of an article with my phone and email it to someone. <laughs> Um, I'm sure I can go online and get the same article and, and email it to them, but it's just like, oh, here, look, I was thinking about you in the real world. And I wanted to share this with you. And it's not meant to be like, hey, look, I'm thinking about it. It's more to be like, I think this could be interesting to you. Yeah. Right? And and I'm actually astounded how few people actually do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, how how few people do that to me. Maybe that's just me. <laughs> Maybe they don't <laughs> like me. But uh, but it, I see it so rarely. It's so easy to just retweet something or share something. Like, oh, I put it out there for my whole network to see. And that feels really impersonal. I would say I've stopped using Facebook for the most part uh, just because it just becomes far too noisy. And yet I feel as a result, I mean, I have some, you know, every once in a while I have some FOMO because I've missed out that one of my friends who I'm not as close to anymore had a baby or had a major life event. And um, and that's unfortunate. You know, it's like yeah. it's not that hard to send an email to the people you care about and say, hey, look, we had a kid, right, for those big events. Um, and um, so I feel I feel like, you know, social networking is actually in a lot of ways crippled 
real networking because people get lazy. It's just easy to say, hey, look, this happened and, you know, and put it out there for the world to see. Um, and they don't really engage the same way. So anyway, to come back to your question, I would say the way I do it is is basically just trying to trying to keep track in my head. I mean, if, these people, if you care about these people, you know what they care about, right? And so if you see something that could be interesting to them, um, I share it with them. Yeah, that's a really wonderful way to look at it. And it's definitely uh, different from how I receive messages or different from how uh, other folks stay in touch with me or I stay in touch with other people. So that's interesting to think about. So to close out, I would love to ask you, what is some advice you have for folks who are either trying to build their own network in order to, to start their own business or just folks who are thinking about starting new ventures in a similar space? So my key piece of advice for someone starting a new venture is to find a space that you are really passionate about, something that you keep coming back to all the time because it, it like, is part of your, your being, your fiber. Um, for me, you know, it was, it was impossible for me to stay away from social networks and professional social networks and the professional space um, and relationships. Uh, it just is core to who I am. It's, it's what makes me tick. And so it's very easy for me to, to, to work on this. It's very easy to be passionate about this. Um, I think if you are starting a, a company or starting a venture for the sake of starting a venture, um, yes, there's a lot of places you can make money. And certainly there are, you know, I, I've, I've been much more successful than I am today in other ventures. Um, they just weren't as meaningful to me yeah. uh, emotionally or psychologically. So I would say find something where you're really – where it, it, it's hard. It's really hard at times. So you really got to love it. You really got to care about it. Um, and I know that's advice that a lot of people give and people – when I've given that advice to other people, they're like, oh, there's nothing I really care about. Well, then maybe starting a business right now isn't for you, right? There's nothing better than going out there and working for someone else and learning on their dime uh, what, you, what you are really passionate about, what you are really excited about. Where's a, a problem that you really want to solve, an itch you really want to scratch? Um, so I guess it's two pieces of advice. One is find something that you're super passionate about and do it. If you don't have that thing or nothing comes to mind immediately – Go work. Work on as many different things as you can. Get paid by someone else to figure out what it is you are passionate about. And maybe you may find that you never are passionate enough about something to start a business around it. Maybe you are just passionate enough about one thing to work with other people um, on, solving, on solving that problem. Those are excellent pieces of advice. Thank you so much for being on the show, TJ. Sure. Happy to. To all of our listeners, thanks again for listening to Venture Vignettes a podcast dedicated to interviews with tech leaders at the forefront of innovation. For questions, comments, or requests, you can always reach me at rihanna at kzsu.stanford.edu. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and definitely leave us a review on iTunes. I'm Rihanna Shah, signing off until next time.